One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. UK deaths hit a 20-year high. In the week to April 3rd, it was the highest number since 2005. And in the following week, it was the highest number in two decades since the winter of 2000. Reports the virus may have peaked. Curve is flat, but not very clearly going down in many parts of the country. And how Singapore went from leading the global response to having the most cases in Southeast Asia. This is coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. The UK will start testing a vaccine on humans on Thursday. Health Secretary Matt Hancock said reaching that stage of the process would normally take years. But on Tuesday, he pledged £20 million to the team at the University of Oxford to accelerate their trials. Nothing about this process is certain. Vaccine development is a process of trial and error and trial again. That's the nature of how vaccines are developed. But I've told Sarah Gilbert and Robin Shattuck, two of our most inspiring scientists, that we are going to back them to the hilt and give them every resource that they need to get the best possible chance of success. The news came as new figures revealed the number of people dying in the UK has hit a 20-year high, with one in three fatalities now linked to coronavirus. The Office for National Statistics released figures for deaths occurring in the week ending April the 10th. They show that over half of deaths in London were linked to COVID-19, compared to the nationwide average of 34%. That's up from 21% the week before. The new data also suggests that fatalities in care homes have risen fivefold since the previous seven days, reaching over 1,000 in that week alone. The Telegraph's data journalist Dominic Gilbert says the new data tells us as much about how coronavirus is being diagnosed as the number of people dying with it. What's interesting is, is the trend in the proportion of unexplained deaths. So as time goes on, more are being linked with COVID-19, which could be linked to a gradual increase in testing across England and Wales. In the week to April the 3rd, around 69% of excess deaths were attributed to coronavirus, and the following week it had risen to 81%. So around four in every five excess deaths are now linked to COVID-19. What's also becoming clearer is the number of deaths that could be being missed in care homes. In the space of two weeks, the total number of deaths in care homes in England and Wales doubled to almost 5,000 a week. So despite around 2,500 extra deaths a week in care homes, 
only just over 800 were linked to coronavirus, leaving more than 1,500 excess deaths in care homes, which are as yet unexplained. And that is most likely down to a lack of testing in those facilities. There's a lot of pressure on the government to begin counting care home deaths in the official statistics, but that hasn't happened yet. But by the end of this month, the Office for National Statistics has said they'll begin tracking those deaths as best they can. So we should get a better picture of the real scale of coronavirus in care homes very soon. A 20-year high in the number of deaths is grim reading whichever way you look at it. But experts believe this could have been when the virus peaked. Scientists at the University of Oxford say their modelling shows the peak occurred in London on April the 4th and the rest of the country just four days later. It comes as the UK reported 823 new hospital deaths, taking the total above 17,000. The Telegraph's Lizzie Roberts reports. Both government advisers and independent scientists have now suggested the peak in UK coronavirus infections has been reached, with data showing a stabilisation in new cases. But what does that actually mean? Flattening the curve, or squashing the sombrero, as Boris says, refers to reducing the rate of new infections. When the daily case count stops sharply rising, flattens off and starts to decrease, this means the peak has been reached. And scientists say this flattening off has begun. Dr Angela McLean, the MOD Chief Scientific Advisor, said during yesterday's Number 10 press briefing that the rate of infection in the UK has stopped rising, but the government has cautioned we still remain in a situation of danger. Jonathan Van Tam, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England, said today that although the picture for London does show a decline, it is not absolutely clear that there have been peaks in other regional areas. I'm sure it will go down in the days and weeks that follow, he said, but we must bend that curve through our actions. So what's next? Some European countries have already begun to ease lockdown measures as their infection and death rates continue to fall, such as Germany, Poland and Norway. While in the UK the lockdown measures remain unchanged for now, there are hopes the country will follow our European counterparts if the infection rates continue to remain low and keep declining. Only last month, Singapore was held up as a shining example of how to tackle the novel coronavirus. Before the disease even had a name, the country had put in place stringent travel restrictions and an efficient contact tracing system. But now the city-state has the highest number of reported cases in Southeast Asia at just under 10,000. On Monday, Singapore confirmed its new daily record of over 1,400 new infections, a marked increase on the low 200 mark it was reporting in mid-March. And on Tuesday, the nation tightened and extended its lockdown until at least June the 1st. So what changed in the country that seemed to be doing everything right? The Telegraph's Asia correspondent Nicola Smith says there's one clear factor that's led to the rise. The reason for Singapore's slip-up can be found in dormitories housing hundreds of thousands of migrant workers on the outskirts of the city-state. These construction and service industry workers, mainly from Bangladesh and India, are vital to the economy. But while living in cramped conditions, sometimes a dozen to one room, they have not had the luxury to pursue social distancing measures to prevent disease. Low-wage labourers now account for at least 60% of the nation's infections. As cases rose in early April, the government swiftly escalated its strategy, confining labourers to their dormitories, testing and treating the sick 
and moving some 7,000 healthy key workers into alternative accommodation. Despite the spike in cases, deaths remain low at 11. And Singapore is generally in a strong position thanks to its small size and strong government and health sector. Analysts say the situation is still under control and there is little sense of panic. The migrant population is generally young and healthy and unlikely to need ventilators or critical care. Outside of their community, new cases average only 30 a day. But longer term, Singapore's experience shows us that even the countries with the most carefully planned pandemic strategies cannot let their guard down until a vaccine is found. You go to work, why can't I go to work? The words of an anti-lockdown protester in Colorado to a healthcare worker staging a counter-protest. Anti-lockdown rallies have also been seen in US states, including Texas, Wisconsin, Ohio and California. The protesters insist the ongoing economic cost of the shutdown is no longer worth the lives it would save. And now epidemiologists are warning these protests could cause a surge in COVID-19 cases. Eric Fagelding, an epidemiologist and public health scientist at the Harvard School of Public Health, says he expects to see an increase in cases in Washington in two to four weeks, following a rally of two and a half thousand people. Facebook has started taking down anti-lockdown protest events organised in the United States, citing breaches of social distancing guidelines. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis and I'll be back on Wednesday evening with another update. If you have a question you'd like us to address on the podcast, email me. It's coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. If your question's about PPE, the personal protective equipment worn by healthcare staff, our health editor, Laura Donnelly, is holding a live Q&A on just that at 1pm on Wednesday. I'll put details of how to join that in the show notes. Don't forget that you can access all of our news and analysis and advice from all the journalists you've heard today completely free for 30 days at telegraph.co.uk slash audio.